The Small Queendom Podcast, episode 37. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Leah Graham, the host. Delighted to have you with me today. We are in for a treat. Listen, if you're new around here, this podcast is about helping you move the needle from surviving to thriving so you can curate a beautiful queendom or kingdom. This is your one lovely life, and I just want to help you clear out the noise and just get down to what's important, and we like to have a little bit of fun. I am so delighted to introduce my guest today. I have been waiting to present this episode for you. She is Dr. Nicole LaPera. Some of you may be very familiar with her over on Instagram as The Holistic Psychologist. If you have not been able to check out her posts, I'm telling you right now, go to Instagram and click follow, The Holistic Psychologist. All the links will be in the show notes. She is basically dropping truth bombs left and right and getting really clear about the root of mental health and how we can all be hashtag self healers. I absolutely love this approach that our first line of defense and our first line of offense begins with us. And in this conversation, it was... It felt so good to talk to Dr. Nicole. She was easy to talk to, so incredibly personable and down to earth. And we jam on the root of mental wellness and health begins in our gut, what we're eating and the state of our gut and our um, our digestive system. We talk about future self-journaling, addictive emotions, and even how to work through creating boundaries and also the fact that we have a choice and she talks about that a little bit more on a personal level and I um, I'm just I'm just grateful for her insight it's a great conversation you will for sure want to join her email subscriber list because she puts out her specialized future self journaling uh, tips and tricks and her process for her email subscribers so again check out the show notes Without any more further ado, let's get to my conversation with Dr. Nicole LaPera. Dr. Nicole, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It is an honor to speak with you and that you would take the time to talk to me. I truly am grateful. My pleasure, Leah. I appreciate you having me on. In all seriousness, I am always so, so grateful to have conversations with anyone. You're helping me spread the message, and I I, I thank you. Well, we are so, um, we're just so excited to have you because my audience knows about doing the work, and many of them are starting to. And I am just so excited about this conversation, but before we kind of dive in, I would love to have you kind of tell us who you are, what makes you tick, and how in the world did you move from conventional psychology to this beautiful world of a holistic approach and what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
okay, so who I am is one of those weirdos who always kind of knew what I was going to be. Um, I was always fascinated with the mind, um, which might be a little different, I think, than some psychologists. It's funny, I've been, you know, kind of hearing people's stories with how they get where they are. And I want to help people, but really it was the mind that I just found so incredibly fascinating from a very young age. So did all of my schooling, starting at undergrad, you know, through graduate, I have a PhD in clinical psychology, always kind of was in route to be the, the psychologist with the shingle. Um, along the way, I started to pick up though, I think kind of additional, you know, kind of skills and tool sets, mindfulness being the first big thing that, you know, sticks out to me, um, that wasn't being taught at least in my time when I was going in, into school, into a traditional program. Um, now I think programs have shifted a little bit, but I was always kind of incorporating outside, you know, if you will, more, you know, kind of Eastern, uh, techniques in terms of my work. So I always joke and say I was always on the outskirts of, of my program, you know, not really fully kind of drinking all the CBT Kool-Aid and things like that. Um, but my really pivot happened when I myself, so I kind of on a personal level, I'm someone who struggled with anxiety my entire life. As long as I can remember, I was literally that little girl afraid of everything um, and complete with panic attacks in my twenties, you know, really, really uncomfortable stuff. So I totally understand, you know, that experience and, so that my big shift happened when two things happened. Um, I was practicing. I consider myself a fancy myself very self-aware and using mindfulness and all of this. And I still wasn't fully getting rid of my anxiety. Um, it would help. Uh, and I started to see a similar pattern mirrored in my, in my patients at the time, right? We would get so far in healing. And then there was just like a stuckness that would always just be there. It was frustrating on a personal level for myself. And it was frustrating on a professional level, not being able to fully see people heal. Um, at the same time, I started to really have a decline in my physical health. Um, so after digging in and wondering, and obviously here came my anxiety rearing its head. Um, I diagnosed myself with everything from brain cancer to, you know, anything under the sun that I was sure was going to be my demise. Um, I really landed on some lifestyle things that I was doing and not doing that were possibly causing body imbalance. So at that point, I really pivoted again um, and started to work holistically as I term it now, meaning not only is it important to do all the traditional stuff and practice the mindfulness and the meditation, and that does have a direct effect on the body, which I also came to realize, but really take into consideration nutrition and other lifestyle choices, um, at which point I really engaged in a long-term, because you'll hear me always talk about patience, healing process of myself. Um, and then really started to realize I had to incorporate this into my practice as well. This is a large reason why I'm stuck why my patients are stuck. Um, and I started to practice what I call now holistically. That is amazing. So what you are talking about is a direct connection between the body, the food that we're giving the body and the mind. Direct connection. I mean, I can make an argument down to our physiology, down to these things that maybe some of your listeners have heard, the infamous neurotransmitters, the serotonins, the dopamines, all of the things that we thought were either genetically predetermined because you either had that chip or you didn't, A, and B, were located in our brains. They're not. They're located in our guts or they're made predominantly in our guts. So, I mean, down from not only A, the food I eat makes me feel some way, but Literally, it does. It makes you, it changes your physiology in a positive way and in a negative way. Absolutely. Wow. So for someone listening to this, do you feel like in your experience, there are just some trigger foods that people need to take out when they're healing or that they need to take out period or like, where do you lie on that? 
Yeah, 100%. So my whole motto is I do not give, nor will I ever, a manualized nutritional plan. I do not believe that's that's helpful. Um, I believe that every body, as in the physical thing that we're housed in, right, is different. Meaning, what my nutritional needs, you know, are might be slightly different from what yours may be, Leah, are going to definitely be different from all the listeners. A, but B. So I give the tools to practice what I call intuitive eating to connect with your body. I truly believe that our body tells us what it wants and needs. We're just not listening. We're listening to our thinking minds. We spend way too much time in our thinking minds, but to answer your question simply, yes, I do think that there are big glaring things that are problematic for most humans at this point. Um, I will be the bearer of bad news as I often am that some of these things are prolific in our diets and they include gluten, they include sugar, um, they include for sure all of the processed oils that is laden in any food that you're eating at more or less any restaurant, unless it's a restaurant that specifically says, I care about the oil that I use, which most aren't. Um, and there's obviously some others, but those are really, really the big three, um, that I think that most humans, and I, I say the gluten piece too, cause I know obviously if you carry a diagnosis of celiac, you know this, but again, I think that these cause direct, or I know that they cause direct damage to our guts. Um, and the sugar has a whole other issue in terms of blood sugar dysregulation, which has huge implications for all things, mental wellness and mood. So those are the ones that I would say everyone Healing, not healing always should really consider, if not limiting, removing entirely. I, I jive on that um, intuitive eating so much because I find that different periods of my life, I feel like my diet has shifted to reflect kind of what I'm eating in that moment. So I love that. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, do you think that it's just inevitable if we're on God's green earth that we probably need some kind of healing, you know, cause I, some people are like, well, do I really have to go through the work? I don't really know what's wrong, but yet they keep coming up on all of these roadblocks in their life and these patterns that keep coming back. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think from a physiological perspective, um, we all, I had someone ask me a similar question. Do you think everyone needs gut healing? I think everyone does, to be honest, even if you, I mean, obviously the gastrointestinal issues and a lot of us, even at this point, carry those, you know, official diagnoses, the Crohn's, the IBS. I mean, it's crazy how rampant and chronic that is at such a young age at this point. Yes. Um, so that aside, there's a spectrum that if you've been on this earth and if you've taken an antibiotic, if you've been live, if you've been coming in contact with the city and toxins and things like that, that there is some level of physiological imbalance that could be likely use some healing um, that you might even be suffering from, you know, kind of symptoms of the typical, you know, depressions, anxiety, diagnoses, low mood, no energy, racing thoughts, you know, anxiousness, agitation, things like that, that could be coming directly from this body imbalance. So physiologically, I think every human can heal. Psychologically, I think every human can heal. Um, I think that there's a lot of reasons why we're stuck. And one of the, I think, most frustrating for my clients at this point, um, you know, experiences when they engage in healing, there are barriers or hurdles. And usually they are connected not to the new lifestyle choices that we're trying to implement, but to our minds, to our psychology. And the thing I always go back to and how I conceptualize all of our stuck points are from our originating in our subconscious are our narratives, our stories, our ways, patterned ways of thinking, feeling, and being in the world that we've had 
for usually as long as we can remember, you know, that we've been operating that no longer work for us. So I think every human can heal psychologically. And the beautiful part is their tools that we can actually do that. We have so much more control than I think a lot of us who are feeling stuck realize. This is a friendly reminder to unclench your jaw, relax your eyes, and simply take a few slow, deep breaths. I don't know about you, but I frequently find myself holding on to tension in my body throughout the day. And I have found a quick hack to relax my parasympathetic system. Along with taking a few slow, deep breaths, I use an essential oil blend called Breathe. It's this beautiful, invigorating blend of laurel, eucalyptus, peppermint, cardamom, lemon, and more. It is so impressive at how it works to calm me down and fill my lungs with beautiful oxygen. I also love to add it along with lavender to my diffuser at nighttime for this perfect blend of rest and clear breathing. Or I'll quickly rub it to my chest or my neck right before a workout or a long day working on projects in the office. Breathe, along with lavender, are one of the 10 essential oils included in the Home Essential Starter Kit by doTERRA. I get it. Essential oils are an investment in your health, but I promise you nothing else comes close to elevating the way I take care of myself, my family, and how I show up for my life like essential oils. What's great is when you choose a kit, it includes a 25% discount for a whole year and it includes access to my exclusive online oil community for support. For more info and a purchase, go to smallqueendom.com slash buy oils. For U.S. listeners at checkout, be sure to add code podcast to receive a set of six premium rollerballs to make your own blends. Not in the U.S.? No problem. You can still get these shipped to you around the world. When you buy doTERRA oils through me, you get as much personal guidance as you need to start incorporating these oils in your home. The page is smallqueendom.com slash buy oils. Inhale and breathe. That's awesome. It, yes. I love that hope that you bring because, um, I think that you have this gift of communication. I mean, it, it really, you have just done such a good job breaking it down. I really encourage everyone to check out your Instagram page. I'm telling people about it all the time. Oh my gosh. I so that. appreciate that. Thank you. Thank cool. you. Um, anyway, I wondered if we could talk about addictive emotions because you've posted about that before. And I think it is very poignant and, you know, maybe give us an example of addictive emotion and how it's just a cycle that we repeat and repeat. And it's a story that we keep making happen in our life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so we become addicted to emotions kind of in that same way, like you're saying, patterned, right? We think the same thoughts. We then result in the same feelings. We engage in the same behaviors. We do so consistently enough over time, they become habit. Uh, we also become addicted to emotions physiologically because emotions actually cause or resultant from, right? Both are interconnected, chicken or the egg thing, right? But we have different hormones, chemicals, neurotransmitters that are released in our bodies that then our body too gets used to. Right. So we get wow. used to feeling literally down to a physiological level, hormonal level, a type of way. And I say both of these things acknowledge that humans don't like brain, human brains, human physiologies, homeostasis, if you will, uh, a kind of a, a, a maladaptive homeostasis, but adapt, you know, it's kind of what homeostasis is the return to balance, but we yes. get used to a balance sometimes that is not balanced, meaning we don't like difference or change. 
Um, so when we start to experience a different physiology or a different behavior, even in ourselves, even if it is logically moving toward this ideal way we want to be or feel, the mere fact that it feels different, different than we're used to feeling is enough to invoke discomfort. So I think that's why change is hard and that's where addiction comes from. So a personal example I will share. Um, I come from a family that has a lot of rampant, though, depending on who you ask, they will completely deny it to be the case, anxiety um, and a lot of chaos that kind of feeds, again, part and parcel feeds the anxiety. Um, So for me, I became, if you will, addicted to anxiety, to stress. So even if over the course of my life, if you were to ask me, you know, kind of what I wanted in life or what, you know, was ideal, I would say I wanted peace, right? So logically, all I wanted was to be able to kick back and relax and not feel anxious. Who would want to feel anxious? Those of us who feel anxious, it sucks. It's not a way to, to be. It's not an enjoyable life, right? However, I was so used to it that when I would find a moment of peace, right? If there was nothing objectively going on, I would notice that I would start to agitate my surroundings, whether or not it was my partner or my mental world. I'd make things up in a sense, or I'd poke, you know, partners or friends or whatever it was to invoke that same chaos, stress, and anxiety that I was used to. Even if like you're saying on the same, on the other side of my mouth, I was saying, I just want peace. It's like I was not allowing peace to happen because there was something incredibly uncomfortable about peace for me. And I was addicted in a sense that with with something like anxiety, we have adrenaline that rushes through us. We have cortisol that rushes through us. And so like I was saying earlier, on a physiological level, my body wanted that. It was used to that. Wow. That is very interesting. So maybe a personal example for me that I'm trying to practice through is it seems like on holidays, which I love the idea of holidays and celebrations, I seem to just find myself in a sad place. Could that be an example of an addictive emotion? Yes. Mm -hmm. There -hmm. could be something associated with holidays or past experiences or a meaning of, and then there's so many ways that we kind of, you know, make these connections, if you will, happen that isn't just logical on the surface. Um, some of it's deep and meaning based and some of it's directly related to, oh, this past experience looks exactly like this. You know, some of it is and it's a little bit more confused, uh, but it, it could be. Yeah, you're responding on some level to something deeper um, and going back and reverting back to that more negative feeling, even though logically and even if maybe now the adult that you are once and can experience. That's the thing. That's how we carry our past with us, right? Our context changes, our coping skills changes. For a lot of us, our relationships change. However, we still bring with us this kind of albatross of this past. And that could be one of the ways it's presenting itself, not allowing you to be happy and light and joyful on holidays and bringing you back to that, that darker place for whatever reason. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Well, Can we shift a little bit and talk about forgiveness? Because I'm wondering if sometimes we maybe have a hard time processing through forgiveness, maybe for many reasons, but maybe because it could be hitting on that addictive emotion. So maybe we're still swirling on something negative that happened or something that someone said and it, could that be another example of a negative emotion hitting, hitting, hitting? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, what like, essentially forgiveness is on some level, right? To simplify it is, you know, moving past that which we need to forgive, right? Whatever upset us, hurt us, angered us, you know, a million other things that we would be forgiving someone for, right? So on a very surface level, I mean, what strikes me when I hear forgiveness is, okay, we're letting that go, right? We're moving past that. That's not the feeling we have anymore. But yeah, I think in a very addictive like way. Um, so what comes to mind is I have worked with someone in the past who has had a divorce multiple years ago. Um, but again, for multiple reasons, there's an addiction to a chaos and an, an anger based from very early childhood experiences that it is as if the divorce might as well still be happening. That's the amount that this divorce and these wrongs have been brought up. And when I say years ago, I'm talking almost on a decade now. So again, it's like, you know, I mean, obviously in lacking forgiveness, but I do see it as a function of this deeper pattern Mm -hmm. of getting used to addicted to stuck in chaos and negative branded chaos, if you will. So what that looks like is constantly venting about this 10 year old hurt, you know, constantly talking about it, whether or not I'm talking about it to someone else with which this client did do very actively kind of fueling it, but thinking about it too, right. As if it's alive, not allowing forgiveness. Cause if we move past it, right. We now don't have that feeling anymore. We can't access that. Yes. Yes. I'm just thinking of sometimes, you know, you meet people that kind of have that grudge or that resentment or that thing that just always is riling them up. And it it just doesn't seem like they can get to a good place about it. So one tool that you really are sparking a fire on is this idea of future self journaling. And you sent, I'm on your email list and you sent this beautiful little gift around and I'm so excited to start practicing it personally, but would you kind of talk us to, um, talk to us about future self journaling and what that is and what it does and all the good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So why I'll start with why, why I always like to explain why is why I think it's so important is I think a lot of us are, are way too focused. And I think this is where traditional therapy as it stands now, you know, becomes slightly problematic. We're so focused on where we've been and what we are now with little regard for where we want to go. Um, again, not to say that understanding where we've been and where we are now isn't part of the process. Of course it is. I always say there's two parts of the process, awareness and change, awareness and action, right? So yes, I'm not to say you know, a, a wash, not that we even could, right? Chop our past off and pretend it's not there, right? No. But again, I think that a lot of us are just stuck in that. So I always kind of say we need to about face and at some point need to focus on what we want to be. Why it's so incredibly helpful is our brain, our minds, if you will, does not know the difference between what is real, quote unquote, I'm putting up air quotes, or imagined. Meaning if I start to practice new thoughts, in the form of this future self journaling, new feelings, new behaviors, envisioning myself doing these new things, right? Before I know it, my brain isn't going to know whether I'm journaling these new thoughts and feeling it sitting in a room where my world looks the same, or I might as well be out in the world doing this new thing. The more I practice that at a brain level, so what has happened now neurologically, I'm sure a lot of your listeners might have heard the, you know, the statement neurons that, or maybe they haven't, but neurons that wire to get, fire together, wire together. So what happens is we literally fire thoughts. They're, they're, they are actions in our brain. They lead to feelings. Again, actions in our brain, behaviors. All of this becomes a, what I call a steroidal pathway that we've just practiced so often. That's why we can't change it. It's what happens when we're mindless, as a lot of us are, when we are going back into habit, we're going to fire those habitual patterns. 
So what is so hugely important is practicing new thoughts, new feelings, and new behaviors. And the way we can do that is every day engaging in a practice of future self-journaling where we offer ourselves new thoughts. We write down how we would feel or imagine ourselves to feel that way, right? So if you want to work on social confidence, right? You could start to say, I am confident socially. You know, you could start to practice what that would feel like. I would be confident in the world. I would be able to say my thoughts and feelings without worry for what everyone else thought. When you're doing that and engaging in that practice or that intention setting on a daily basis, right? So if you do that in the morning, I do it in the morning. I have now activated part of my mind, right? In this new way that makes it just a little bit more likely that I go and do these new things in my daily life. The more we string together mornings of that or afternoons of that or moments of that, we're practicing being a new person. And that's the bottom line is I think, unfortunately, I'm not the magic elixir. I don't think a magic elixir exists. Um, I think that in this type of healing or any type of growth and change, it's really about changing our habits on a consistent basis. It's about doing these new things, having these new thoughts, these new feelings, and these new behaviors consistently enough over time that literally we create a new habit way of being. Do you do you recommend journaling on the same concept for a space of time and sticking to that? Is it for a month, 30 days? Yeah, absolutely. So when I released the journal, I said one thing for 30 days when I work with people. Um, I'm often, again, the person who has to pare down, right? Because again, we all probably want to change in more than one way. That's perfect. I would always suggest evolving and growing and I hope to evolve and grow for the rest of my life, right? So, but to change a habit, again, we need consistency and we need a focused attention. If we're intending five different things throughout a day, you know, chances are we're not giving the amount of attention and effort we need to, because this is a very effortful process. This means all the time now during this day or more often than not, I need to be aware of what I'm thinking. So if I'm thinking that negative, unhelpful thought, I need to take my attention away from that. And I need to offer the new thought, right? I need to be aware of how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling that negative, unhelpful way, I need to now offer myself a new feeling. We can change our physiology. If I see myself going down that old pattern of re- being or relating, I need to shift that, right? So we just don't have enough in us to do that to five things at once. Habits take time. So yeah, I think while I always kind of throw out the 30-day suggestion, what I offer people when I'm working with them is you'll know when this starts to feel like a habit, it might be more than 30 days, right? When you start to see yourself embracing this new way of thinking, feeling, and being in the world, then you can add another or evolve to another. But I think that there's, we do ourselves a disservice and then we start to feel like it's not working because it won't work. We need so much attention to do this one thing and then we can shift. Let's talk about boundaries. A hot one, a hot one. I love it. (laughs) I always go there. Mm -hmm. Go there. It does feel like when we do start to create change, the people that are around us, they kind of push back a little bit. A lot, a little, a lot. Preach. Mm -hmm. And that can feel really disappointing, hurtful, uh, I feel like it can sideline us a little bit. And then I think in other ways, it can bring a lot of relief. Well, why do you think it is that as we begin to change and as we start to learn how to say no and set those boundaries that other people respond so strongly? Mm-hmm. I think it's two reasons, possibly more, but I'll start with two. The 
people that are pushing back or the relationships in which we're getting pushed back, right? More often than not, they've pre-existed. Some of them, if they're family, another hot topic, they've existed as long as at least one of us has been on the earth, right? So I say that because, and one of the reasons why these longer term relationships and family systems, you know, as in all the members of the family are, are difficult to change is because they become locked. Meaning we get used to the volley that is my relationship with you or my relationship with mom or my relationship with sister or even a romantic partner, right? We get used to this dynamic, right? There's a give and take and interplay and it's predictable, right? So when one of the humans in that dyad or whatever it is, start or family unit system, if you will, starts to be different, it's, it changes the dynamic. It kind of throws the person. So even like I said earlier, different than we're used to feeling, now you have someone on the receiving end of you in a relationship that's probably seeing you and experiencing you in a different way, resulting in their discomfort out of pure difference. Not to say it's better or worse. I mean, you could even be evolving for the better of the relationship ultimately, but it's different. And we don't like that, right? Remember, we, we like familiar, A, right? So I think that that for sure is, is a part of it. B, it's a little more complicated. And I think it underlies a lot of interpersonal uh, issues, if you will, um, that a lot of people experience. Sometimes our change makes someone feel some kind of way about themselves. So the reaction they have has less to do, if you will, if we want to be blunt and honest and dig down into it about us and more to do about them and how they're feeling, experiencing us differently or seeing us do or say or be in some new way. Um, Like I said, I think I can expand this globally to most reactions we get from other people have less to do with us and more to do with them. Um, But I think this is in the context of this relationship. So if I start to be different in my friendship over here, right, if I'm starting to go to bed earlier or worry more about my nutrition and, you know, my friends boozing next to me and wondering why I'm not on the bar stool next to them, you know, it might be less to do with me, you know, not being there and more to do with, oh, well, now they're looking at why they're there still. Um, again, this is just a very simplified, you know, example, but, you know, and then they could be feeling some kind of way about them, but instead of saying, well, I don't like that. I'm still on the bar stool. I'm now mad at you, Leah, for leaving me on the bar stool alone. How dare you? You're ruining my friendship and you don't care about me and all that other crap that we kind of make it to be. So I think those are at least two of the things that initially come to mind with why pushback happens when we put up a boundary. And how do you tend to respond when the other person is having a negative response to your change? Like, I mean, obviously you can't take it personal. They're going through their own things, but is it just giving them space? Is it creating more space for you? Like, how do you know when, okay, I really kind of need to let this relationship be because it's not a good thing for me right now. Like, how do you navigate through that? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to acknowledge, first of all and foremost, it's difficult to put up a boundary. That's hard. You know, so anyone out there who's trying to navigate relationships differently by putting up boundaries, this is, this is difficult. It's not an easy process. And it's also very hard to maintain them, especially through this pushback. It's, it's incredibly critical that we do though, because if we go back to that behavior, we're kind of okaying it. We're sending a message right to that other person, right? That if you push hard enough, or if you scream enough, you know, not to say that it's not uncomfortable to hear the pushing and screaming. It for sure is. Um, it's so incredibly important that we not only put up the boundary, 
but we maintain the boundary. But I think the, 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 so again, acknowledging that we're going to be tolerating some level of distress. And for some of us, it's difficult because some of our stories and our narratives are wrapped up around abandonment and fear and acceptance and, you know, all of this other crap that keeps us showing up for the person the way they need us to, so that we don't have to feel this crappy way or lose a relationship. So A, on top of having to tolerate a huge level of discomfort, I think that the secondary piece is like you said, you offered yourself acknowledging that it's not about me. Right. And then I think that sometimes allows us to separate out. So if I have someone, you know, very upset that I'm not calling them back as upsetting as that might be for me, you know, if I can just step back and say, okay, this isn't about me, even though they might be saying it is, you know, if I can center myself, if this is just, you know, a growing pain in the relationship or about them, or maybe the relationship does need to come to an end. I mean, that's the point of, of healing too. I mean, not all the times are some of our relationships maintainable. Um, I think that's, can be hugely helpful having the awareness that it's not actually about us. Cause I think it's so easy. Um, and it's a human tendency in all circumstances, not only this, but in this time where it's, it's being facilitated by the fact that the other person is telling us it's us. It's a human tendency to personalize. We take it personally. We take it to be about us. Definitely. Good advice. Okay, Nicole, you ready to play some mash? I sure am. Okay. So would you mind telling me Three dream locations or dwellings somewhere you would love to live. Okay. Well, I'm currently manifesting a home in Sedona, Arizona. So that for sure is on there. Um, that's a pretty specific one. Um, I'm considering a stop off before there in, in Venice Beach. So you can throw that on there. And then... Um, I like the idea of somewhere abroad. I don't have a somewhere in mind. Let me think of what it could be like, though. Eh, maybe like a, a Costa Rican village. We could put that in there. Ooh, that would be so fun. I really loved Costa. You know what's funny is I don't I don't revisit vacation destinations, or I don't like to because there's just so many places in the world I want to go. But I went to Costa Rica a couple of years ago, and I can't stop thinking about getting back. So that's why that came to mind. So you Costa definitely need, you need to go somewhere sunny, obviously. Sunny and clearly, you know, I am done with this winter for sure. <laughs> awesome. Okay. You, you found me out. You found me out. My time here is limited. I need the sun, vitamin D. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. How about some superpowers? Okay. Awesome. This was, I, I was a little stumped when I thought about this one. So one would be, uh, I don't know if we would call it like gift of flight, uh, not time travel, but I want to be able to blink my eyes and be somewhere. Cause I'll tell you what the flight to places like Thailand and Bali, uh, I don't know. No, thank you. So blink I'm somewhere else. I would love that. While I love sleep, I love time. So maybe, you know, the power, I don't know if I'm making this one up, the power to not have to sleep, endless energy, and endless energy. Sleep, I like that. sleep is very important, everyone. So I'm not by any means condoning no sleeping. Sleeping is part of my lifestyle plan. So get your sleep, a lot of it. But if you didn't have to, then I would have so much more to be on. Full moons are problematic for me because usually I'm sleeping. So I, I need endless energy to be up and see all this. Some claim to fames. This is your dream world here. Okay. Claim to fames. I would love to be a hip hop dancer. 
Um, I have no rhythm and no music uh, tonality or whatever you would call it, but I just think that's so rad and awesome. It is. Um, Hip hop in particular. I don't know why. Every time I watch that, I'm fascinated. Um, So much energy. Oh, you know, and I just, I think those, I think any, honestly, I think anyone musically inclined is, is uh, very, very talented, but yeah, for some reason, I just want to be all bop around like that. I will do one on a more personal note. I want to be, you know, kind of a hugely empowering person. So I don't know how we would word that. Uh, You are spreading empowerment. That is, that is something that I truly kind of hope to be. And I really appreciate you saying that. Okay. How about some, a dream dinner guest? Or three. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, Joe Dispenza is one of the ones I always kind of throw out there. I just love his mind. I think he's awesome. Um, I would also like to have dinner with, I mean, this is going to kind of be a lame one though, but uh, one of the guys whose diet I follow is actually is a dentist named Weston A. Price. He traveled the world and, sca- and studied tribes. Um, so I would love to hear kind of what his experiences were. And I'm fascinated by tribal people and very primal living. Um, so I think picking his brain would be really very cool. Um, I totally know who Weston A. Price is. Yeah, he's pretty. We drink raw milk. What was it? Yep. We do drink raw milk, which I know dairy, but we do use raw. (laughs) Me too. Me too. I very much endorse it. I'm lucky that I live and you are too, like in a state where it's legal because it blows my mind that it's illegal uh, places. Oh, yes. It's crazy. But yeah, I think it's cool that he was a dentist. So he started by studying teeth and then obviously. I know. Do you look at people's teeth and their palates? Because I do. that's funny. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go into a controversial area, but <laughs> nutritionally deficient folk, it's very noticeable. I'll leave it at that. Um, yes. Especially with, I've noticed in children, it's, it's really, it breaks my heart. Um, children who are not getting the nutrients yes. um, I notice, And because everything is all over YouTube now, their, their teeth really do look like they, they struggle because of mm-hmm. it. It makes me sad. Um, so yeah, Weston A. Price, I'll throw out there. And who would be a third? That's okay. You can just do two. All right, two, two then. Okay, are you ready for your dream world? Drum world, roll. I can't wait. Do tell. Okay, so after you become a world famous hip hop dancer. Oh, yes. Woo! I can quit this gig. <laughs> I go. Okay. You're going to blink and be in Costa Rica. I'll take it. I'll take it. And Weston A. Price is going to come to your house for dinner. That's awesome. That's so, you know, so funny as I'm picturing the place I stayed at in Costa Rica overlooked this, it was on a mountain, it overlooked the sea and there was a dinner table outside. So come on over Weston. That flight's not too bad. So I don't, I don't, I, I don't need the blank, but you know what? I'll take it because airports are no fun. <laughs> Okay. okay, a couple last quick fire questions. Yeah, you got it. Mm-hmm. Do you have a current quote or principle that you're just keep returning to right now? Yeah, absolutely. It's not a quote, but it's presence. Current moment now, all versions of that. We have such power in, in here and now and the part of the brain that is activating it. And I am one of us many humans who have historically spent way too much time in our minds not here, not now. So mm. I will, speaking back to the point you're talking about in terms of future self journaling and all that jazz, that's one that I often revisit. Just be present, just be present, just be here. So that is always one that is on my, on my top level list. That's great. All right. Uh, any book that you're reading or something on your audible queue that you find inspiring or that you like? Yeah. I just actually finished a reread of the body keeps a score 
Um, a lot of people, I really highly suggest that anyone who's experienced any type of trauma and trauma does not necessarily have to mean a big catastrophic event. Um, it really touches on the mind body connection. I think that's so hugely important. Um, and now I have a whole list on Amazon. I'm headed away this weekend to a cabin for a little bit. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading on kind of brain waves and, and kind of retraining the brain. So I don't have a specific top, uh, title, but that's my new topic. So you when know, I have I a title, I will put it all over my Instagram. All right. Best advice you ever got. Um, I don't know if it was the best advice. It was more of a statement. Um, when someone had told me that everything is a choice, I just thought that was so incredibly empowering and, uh, true. And while, and I got, I don't want to throw it out there, this distinction because I can imagine some of the responses while maybe we can't choose specifically things that might have happened in our world or people have done around us or even to us, um, everything becomes a choice in terms of how we respond or what we do with that. So I know that you are currently writing to your future self and that is so awesome. But if you could go back in time and tell your younger self something, what would you tell her? I would tell her, um, I'm going to go back to this choice point that, that she has so much more control than she thinks. Um, because younger me, like I said, was very anxiety ridden and was scared of, of everything and ultimately was scared that I could not handle um, a lot of things. So I think telling her that she can handle much more than she thinks and there's so much more control and choice that is, that is in her hands. I also say the choice point because I I very much believe that I had so many limitations, you know, in physical health because of, you know, quote unquote genetics or personality, because that's just how it was. And I got this and I didn't get this and I had no choice. So I think I, I kept myself limited by my own narrative of, of limitation for an incredible, incredibly long, but not, not long enough. I mean, again, I think anytime change is, is possible and doable, it's, it's never too late. And I throw that out there too, because I think a lot of us think there's some critical period. If I haven't done it now, I'm, I'm destined to be like this forever. And I don't, I think change is always available to us. Yes, it takes work and choice and consistent work back to that word. Um, but I think I would tell little me that, that she can handle a lot more than she thinks and that things are much more possible than she has been told or led to believe. <laughs> That is a beautiful, beautiful message. Thank you. Listen, I'm going to, I don't want to keep you forever. So before we go, can you be sure to let us know how we can find more of you, how we can get on your email list, how we can just find all the things? I sure can. So the main hub for all the things is Instagram um, becoming my second home, uh, the.holistic.psychologist. You can find me there. I'm always on my stories, always posting. I try to be really responsive. We have an, an amazing community there. In all seriousness, I know that healing can feel very isolative. Like you said earlier, there can be a lot of people who don't get it. Um, I have a lot of people who get it. Um, one of the, they're very inspiring. So even drop into the comments, find someone you connect with. Um, really heartwarming, quick story. I had someone that I'm working with directly one-on-one because I do that as well. Um, they contacted me and said that they met someone in the comments from where they're from and they ended up going out and having coffee. So a budding friendship, um, and self-healing. I mean, literally I almost fell off my, that made my day. More than I'm like, I don't even care how you're doing. You, yeah, I made a friend. This is so odd. So again, I say this too because I think it can be very isolating. But yeah, the dot holistic psychologist, um, Instagram main hub. I do have a website. The link is in the bio. I have an email list. What is going out right now? I'm always putting out goodies for everyone. Um, it is the future self journaling guide. So if you follow the link in my bio, you can get on the email list. I don't bombard you. I usually just update you when I have new blogs up and or new goodies. So come there. Uh, and I also have just started a YouTube channel. 
channel. Um, it is a work in progress, but I, I'm always posting on Instagram when the stuff is coming up. So that is your best bet. Connect with me there. Like I said, I'm, I try to respond to all comments and messages. So don't feel, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, and if any of is interested in working individually with me, I do offer that as well. So you can contact me through that website. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me in all seriousness. I definitely appreciate it. Hey, if you enjoy this episode, be sure to click the subscribe button for more holistic personal development and fun lifestyle episodes. And consider leaving me a review. You can actually do it right here within the Apple Podcast app or by using a computer and going onto iTunes. You have a stellar week, my friend. Stay strong. Be kind. Bye. Bye.